The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who knows that the Pirates do do everything. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we watched the Veggie Tales growing up. We sure did, and I'm sure there are some people that appreciated that reference, but most importantly, I think Pirates fans could not be more excited on this uh, Monday morning, April 24th, with their team. In first place, of course, we're going to talk about the Moppin' Buckos. Uh, we are going to talk about the weekend that was. We're going to talk about Vlad Jr. and his distaste for the New York Yankees. What the hell is wrong with the Cardinals? Pursuits of perfect games that end in funny fashion. And of course, Drew Maggi. But Jake, tell us. How, first of all, how was your weekend? That's probably a good place. So how, how are you? You doing all right, man? You good? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I slept through my alarm this morning, but you know I am a beast, and so I hopped right back up and started recording this podcast. How about Love you? Love that. Love that determination. <laughs> People can't touch me. Let's talk about the Pirates. Enough about us. The Pittsburgh Pirates of PNC Park, a stadium which I believe Jordan, we should start calling the Pirate Bay which is funny. Mm. Okay, that's good. I mean, I'm sure there have been different nicknames for that over the years, but now it's like, hey, we're paying attention to you. you got more pressure to come up with a nickname. And we are illegally downloading tons of wins. They are 16 and 7. They are first place in the NL Central. And most notably, they have an 11.9% chance to make the postseason, which is as high as that number has been in a long, long time time. So we're going to spend a little bit of time today trying to understand one, why have the Pirates been good? Two, are they actually good? Jordan, where would you like to start? I think let's start with how they got here, okay? Because uh, 16 and 7 is not, and by the way, they've won, you know, seven in a row here uh, coming into Monday, including a mop of the Reds, our second mop of the season, four-game sweep. That is a mop. They did it at home at the Pirate Bay, as you as you called it. Uh, I know the Reds are, are struggling, but hey, a mop is a mop, and you deserve the credit for it. So what what, what has gone right? For, forget about projecting forward. Let's just enjoy what has been so great for the Buccos so far. And it starts with at an obvious place. Connor Joe. <laughs> of course. Connor, Connor Joe, who much was made of, you know, Andrew McCutcheon returning to Pittsburgh after uh, a long stint away at all these places that he didn't call home. He always had Pittsburgh home, but no. Who was the Pirates' first rounder, their 39th overall pick in 2014? It was Connor Joe out of the University of San Diego. And so far, Connor Joe has been the most impactful player. Uh, out of the University of San Diego, edging out Chris Bryan and Paul Seawald so, so far. This man has an OPS over 1,000. This man is getting on base. He is not striking out. And him, along with Jack Sawinski, have create, and Brian Reynolds, have created one of the most productive outfields in the entire league. Yes, Connor, Joe, Jack Sawinski, and Brian Reynolds. And that is quite a revelation. Now, Connor Joe, as a player, has been interesting because he's been passed around different organizations who look at his minor league numbers and think, this has got to translate at some point. And now it finally starting is uh, to, it's starting to, to happen for him. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool to see it to happen with him in his old organization. And we'll talk about Andrew McCutcheon in a second. But yeah, Connor Joe and Jack Sawinski, that's a good place to start. 
Uh, Jack Sawinski in the 96th percentile of average exit velocity, 98th percentile of barrel rate, and 96th percentile of walk rate in baseball. He is still only 24 years old. He was a 15th round pick out of a Chicago area high school. So this is the type of player who has a lot of developmental meat left on the bone. This is looking pretty good. Let's also remember how they got him. They got him for Adam Frazier. And, you know, the Pirates have made many a trades over the last decade that they have gotten ridiculed for. And, you know, I think justifiably so with a lot of them. But getting Jack Sawinski, who, yes, he is going to strike out a lot, but this is real juice. He had 19 home runs last year as a rookie in 106 games, and nobody really noticed. He was striking out a ton. But, like, this is real pop here, and that's clearly continuing to translate. And that is that has really changed the complexion because when we came into the season, we looked at this lineup and we saw this mishmash of young, unproven players who we were excited about and veterans who seemed to be brought brought in to be babysitters. And then a pitching staff that similar, very similar, but even maybe less that you could count on. But the offense that they've had so far has really been what, what is what has impressed me. And if if Sawinski, I mean Connor Joe's thirty, right? So maybe he is a, a full blown reclamation project or, or someone is a late bloomer that is going to become an above average major league hitter consistently. But Sawinski at twenty four, like you might actually have some kind of building block here, and that's important because of a couple obvious points about the Pirates so far. One, O'Neill Cruz had a horrible injury and is not playing for the next several months, and that was the reason we thought we were going to be tuning into the Pirates. And two. To put it bluntly, Cabrian Hayes is still smashing the ball into the ground and cannot seem to figure out how to how translate his hard hit rates into power production. And that leaves an offensive gap where you need less heralded players like Sawinski, like Rodolfo Castro, who's been awesome, to really step up. So that's what's impressed me so far. But who else has stood out to you? Well, the last thing I want to say about their offense, Andrew McCutcheon is not cooked. Andrew McCutcheon, watching Andrew McCutcheon interact with the 2023 Pirates is so enjoyable, like putting his arm around Jiwan Bay, you know, picking up Cabrian Hayes after a strikeout, you know, talking about old people stuff with Carlos Santana. Seeing him interact with this world is really a pure joy experience, and it makes it even better that he's freaking raking, right? He's not, he said when he signed here, he was not coming here to retire for like a goodbye tour. He was coming here to play and to win baseball games. And we kind of laughed at that a little bit. But guess what? I mean, he's got a 144 LPS plus at 36 years old and the Pirates are 16 and 7. So I'll tip my cap to him. Anything from the rotation you want to talk about? Well, also, you mentioned, you know, the <laughs> hanging out with the, with the old folks. Carlos Santana, what a delight. Now, he's brought in to, obviously, I just experienced this. He's a legitimately massive reason why the Mariners made the postseason last year, both on and off the field. But he is clearly doing exactly what they could have hoped. Sure, it was easy to joke, oh, he's just there to kind of, you know, keep O'Neill Cruz in line. But I feel like it's so much more than that. Like, Carlos Santana is not there to lose. Like, that. that is, and, and sure, you can laugh at that. And when he signed there, it's not like you expected them to be 16 and 7. But these guys can have an impact, and he's playing well. And so that is a combination that that clearly can can have an impact on the entire team, not just you know his at bats. But that's been huge too, because you know Choi's already hurt, and and having Cruz out and having Hayes after a slow start, like you are going to need contributions on offense. As for the pitching, it's been hilariously competent. Well, hilariously competent. Yesterday we got an, an unbelievable performance. Um, from from Vince Velasquez, I should I should note a, a just a truly ridiculous outing from him. Uh, but you know, Rich Hill was looking really bad to start the year, and is still. I'm not super confident that he's gonna you know hang on all season long. But he's had some good starts in there. I think the most surprising development. I'm not surprised. Mitch Keller's just been solid, good, normal, looking like a really solid mid rotation starter, which is great. But it's been Johan Oviedo looking a lot better than Roanzi Contreras. And I remember when Oviedo made his debut with the Cardinals, and I was like, I didn't know a ton about him. Uh, he was a guy who kind of signed late out of Cuba uh, with the Cardinals and kind of went through the minors. And when he showed up, I was like, damn, this dude's got crazy stuff. This is in 2020. His numbers weren't great. But you watch him now, and they've really made some tweaks there with him that are really impressive. And, you know, Roanzi's been pretty good too, but Oviedo's the one that we were not necessarily counting on. I remember coming out of camp – I was expecting and hoping that Luis Ortiz 
who kind of blew us away last year was going to get that last spot. Instead, they gave it to Oviedo, and and he's been tremendous. So if the Pirates can be developed, again, same thing with the Orioles. We've drawn this parallel before. If you can find a way to improve your pitching better than what those names suggest, that's a very fast way to competency, let alone you know being 16 and 7 in the first place. And the bullpen's been great. Bednar, (laughs) David Bednar is legit, legit. Mm -hmm. Colin Holderman, who they got from the Mets last year for... Vogelback. That was for Vogelback, right? Yep. Yeah, he's been great. And then Dwayne Underwood Jr. is a very fun watch out of the pen. Highly recommend him when he's on. But those are the Pirates. Now, are they real? I think they're 2023 Orioles level of real, where they're real, but they're not real, if that makes sense. I agree, except unlike the 2022 Orioles, they have the NL Central to compete against, mm. as opposed to the AL East which is, of course, what made the Orioles' second half last year so amazing is they were going up against these these awesome teams. And sure, more of a balanced schedule. You're not playing these teams as often. But like, we'll get to the Cardinals here in a little bit. Like, they're a bit of a mess. The Brewers look awesome. I know there's Brewers fans listening to this being like, what the fuck, guys? Like, we're, we're killing it too. Uh, and maybe just because you just got your ass kicked on Sunday and it's recency biased, but the Pirates are the ones in first place. But I think that will help them to kind of stick around. But listen, the cruise injury sucks. Like there's still things missing here and and the pitching, there there's still parts of this pitching staff that I'm very sketchy on, including both Vince Velasquez and Rich Hill. And, and you know, you could see some of these younger pitchers, particularly with Contreras and Oviedo, who haven't had big workloads, see how they carry it over into the second half because right now they're fresh and that's great, but that that's where the staying power is kind of questionable. But I don't know, man, like 11% chance to make the playoffs. I guess that sounds about right. That might still sound a little optimistic. But I think they have enough right going for them and enough of those young players that look solid that they'll probably be right around 500, maybe a little bit below. Call up Tamar Johnson, Jordan. Just do it. He's Why ready. Wait? Why wait? Why wait? Just just bring him up. Yeah, just just have him leapfrog Henry Davis and Andy Rodriguez and all those great guys. Just Tamar straight to the show. Seems like a good plan. So now that we've talked about the Pirates, let's talk about the other big market teams and run you through the weekend that was in baseball. The Pirates over the Reds. That was the only mop, the only four-game sweep that we had. We did have three other three-game sweeps. The Astros over the Braves in Atlanta. Just an absolute bang, bang, bang. Got them. See ya. Thanks for coming out. Uh, Close game on Sunday. That was an entertaining series. Rays over the White Sox. The Rays just sweep people. That's just what they do now. And the Orioles over the Tigers in a you-better-sweep-this-one kind of series, including... A hilarious walk-off win on Sunday. The Mets and Giants split a four-game series. That was a Sunday night game. The Mets finishing their West Coast swing against San Diego, the Dodgers, and the Giants 7-3 and three before they head home to play the Nats on Tuesday. It's a nice... The vibes in Queens are pretty good right now. Dodgers taking 3-4 of four over the Cubs. The Padres 3-4 of four with Tatis back over the Diamondbacks in Arizona, and the Phillies kind of getting right a little bit, taking three out of four over the Rockies, even though those were all closer games, longer into the games than any Phillies fan would have liked. Texas taking two out of three over the A's, who got a win. Congratulations to the Oakland A's. It's a good day in Oakland, Jordan. The A's got a win. Great day. Adelise, Great day. Adelise Garcia with an absolute ridiculous game in that series. I believe he had five extra base hits. Blue Jays over the Yankees in the Bronx, uh, winning 5-1 to one on Sunday to take that series. Yankees got a DJ LeMahieu walk-off single on Saturday. Mariners 2 out of 3 over the Cardinals. Red Sox 2 out of 3 over the Brewers, even though Rowdy Telez just absolutely terrorized Boston all weekend. Miami playing some good ball, the Marlins are, 2 out of 3 over the Guardians. That was a funny series because every time Luisa Rice came up, I'd be like, you should just be on Cleveland. Like, why are you not on the Guardians? Stephen like, Kwan was thinking the same thing. They were just like hanging out. Uh, the Nats taking two out of three over the Twins. Worried about my Twinkies. Not looking great. And the Angels winning a series over the Royals. And they would have swept as well if not for a Jose Quijada implosion on a awful, awful loss on Saturday. So, Jordan, we've talked about the Buccos. That's everything that happened over the weekend. Where do you want to happen? Well, let's quickly rate the Sunday night baseball game. Uh, I This was really the, the main one of this series that I watched. 
But yeah, Mets Giants, this, this was solid. This was a, a, a nice little showing, as you mentioned, the Mets at the end of a long road trip, and the Giants, who record wise is nothing impressive, and yet you look at their stats and you're like, okay, uh, and they they ultimately pull out this one uh, to get the split. But yeah, what what stood out to you about this game? I thought this was an above average Sunday night baseball game. We got the David Cohn uh, rosin experiment, which was which was yep. interesting. I thought that was a nice little look, and and I appreciated. I'm not surprised that David Cohn would be someone to push to kind of show that on national TV. That's really important. Like that's that's a really good thing for him to to be able to do to to give to a national audience that isn't necessarily going to be paying attention. And if you didn't see it, basically he was showing that the rubbing alcohol. Uh, that they claimed that the league told Max Scherzer to use, or Scherzer said to use to clean it off, actually made it worse, depending on the sweat and depending on the humidity and whatever. Now, you had mentioned when we talked about it last week that that was something that that has that can help get sticky stuff off, and I'm sure it can, but I think if there's one thing we learned about the Scherzer thing is that sweat and rosin is going to be different in a lot of different situations, and there's going to be a lot of different chemical reactions, and that results in a sticky situation. Sounds like you need a chemist, Jordan. Yeah, maybe I'll try to find one. We'll see. If you could just <laughs> if you could just marry a chemist really quick, that'd be great. All right, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do my best. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. dude. Uh, other things that stand out from this game: uh, Jock Peterson scoring on an RBI double, I believe, late in the game, and just tumbling his way onto home plate—an absolutely awful slide from Jock Peterson, falling ass first over home plate. Great example of like. Inbox athlete is Jock Peterson oh, yeah. at this point in his career. Oh, yeah. But hey, that's where he needs to be an athlete, and it, it is working. He continues to rake. And then Brandon Nimmo had the mic on at one point early in this game, and they were interviewing him from the booth, which I know a lot of people like get stressed out when they see that, and I think those people need to chill and like mix in a weed gummy. <laughs> These are adults. like They're fine. They're professional baseball players. It's okay. And Nimmo was surprisingly entertaining. And he's just a very fascinating type of baseball man where, like, he's always smiling. He always is having a good time. He never really says anything particularly compelling. But he does seem like the type of person who is, like, at least you you feel decently good after you hear him talk. And he had a very interesting story to tell about growing up in Wyoming and riding horses and what baseball was like in Wyoming. So I always like it when that interview goes relatively well on the broadcast. Anything else from that game, Jordan? Yeah, two other quick things. The Francisco Alvarez home run, his first of the season, was just a very funny aesthetic home run because it was off like a 73-mile-an-hour Tyler Rogers goofy curveball. Uh, but you know, that's what you're, you're what, that's a, a glimpse. I know the Mets lost this game, but this is another important glimpse. You, you know, Francisco Alvarez clearly going to need to be very important for this team. So that was cool. Um, and then Doval. I mean, Doval is amazing. <laughs> Doval is at the end there. Like I, I know we, we have a lot of guys throwing hard, uh, but just the kind of swings he was getting was, was, was nuts. So it might be wasted on this, on this Giants team. They are already in a, quite a hole. But uh, like we said, you know, there's there's some things going well for them. I just am, am skeptical they're really going to be a factor in the postseason mix. What a weird mix. They should see if Bonds is available. Yeah, um, that, that really would add some thump there. Uh, let's talk about a couple other series um, before we head to break that caught my attention. I wanted to talk about Houston's sweep over Atlanta. That's one I wrote a little bit about it at Fox, uh, which you can read right now. Uh, Jordan Alvarez had three hits in this series, only three hits. Uh, on Friday, we had a go-ahead home run in the ninth. On Saturday, we had a go-ahead home run in the sixth. And then on Sunday, we had a game-tying single with two-ounce bases loaded in the top of the eighth um, to, of course, tie the game. Corey Jolks eventually has the pinch-hit go-ahead single. And the Astros, he had five hits on the weekend. Corey Jolks, that's that's a name. It's Listen, it's not quite James Outman, but I'm just telling you now, you should familiarize yourself with Corey Jolks because he is in the same category of destroyed the upper minors and nobody gave a shit. And now he's in the big leagues. And let's not be super shocked if he can actually hit a little bit. But Jordan with his three big swings. And the most notable thing from this weekend or from this series is that the Astros bullpen threw a no hitter over the course of the weekend. Nine and a third innings hitless <laughs> following the Hunter Brown, Framber Valdez, and Christian Javier starts. And as I wrote at Fox, that's the Astros. I know they're only 12 and 10 now, 
But that's the Astros that we've been waiting to see. There are still parts of this team that are not quite complete. Jose Abreu continues to struggle. But as long as Jordan's killing it, Kyle Tucker looks fantastic. Bregman's slowly starting to heat up. Uh, they're going to be just fine. However, huge series coming up with them this uh, this this week. Three games at the Trop. Remember, the Rays have still not been defeated at home. I would like to think that the Astros will have something to say about that in the next three days. Kind of a rough showing from Atlanta's bullpen, which had showed out pretty well so far this year. A.J. Minter, Nick Anderson, Kirby Yates, you know, Maybe a little, they need a little nap. Again, it is small sample size. Bullpen is always weird, but I, it, this, the Nick Anderson experience, maybe a little bit more smoke and mirrors than we thought. Yeah, I think that's fair. But again, I think this, th- I didn't come out of this worried about Atlanta. I just came yeah, away from this, yeah. just m- more impressed with Houston and, and seeing what they were able to do. Uh, when, when, yeah, you know, you would think like, uh oh, like they're nine and 10 and now have to go play one of the best teams in the league. And they're like, that's yeah, fine. Actually, we're, we're, we're cool. We're just going to sweep them. Yeah. Rysel Iglesias should be off the aisle, I think, relatively soon. So they will have a closer back in the fold. Uh, Jordan, you are a Mariners fan. You watch mm-hmm. a lot of the Mariners. The Mariners beat the Cardinals two games to three. The Cardinals are one of the more perplexing teams so far this year. You watched them pretty closely over the weekend. What were your takeaways? Yeah, you know, both going into this into this uh, weekend, eight and eleven, both fan bases clearly in an uneasy state, and it was a classic case where Mariners win the series but lose on Sunday. Losing on Sunday, no matter even if you win the series, is just the worst because then you completely forget about the two games you won before, and you just feel like shit. At the same time, the Cardinals now are nine and thirteen. And it was just like their pitching, like, listen, we knew the pitching was gonna be underwhelming. But just when you see the performances from Michaelis, again, whose ERA is is still over seven, and and Mats and the bullpen right now with with Verhagen, and obviously Hicks is just totally out of the mix, but Genesis Cabrera, and it's just, it is just not an imposing group. And the issue is that while some of their younger players are showing up, right? Gorman has been amazing. And Jordan Walker has he's cooled off a little bit, but he's been he's been solid Burleson good. But Arenado is really really not looking good. That That is the one that stood out to me. Just some really poor swings and some really just uncompetitive at-bats uh, from someone that you could really pencil. I know he's hitting 284, but it does not look like it. Like he, I, I don't think he's hurt or anything, but it, he he just looked off um, in a big way. Wilson Contreras is heating up, so that's good, but they're going to have to outscore their pitching, and I'm, I'm not... I'm not feeling super awesome about that right now. Uh, that that would be where I'm at with the Cardinals and and the Mariners. Like, yeah, they won the series. They they had some some good moments. Kelnick is Kelnick's real dude. Like the homers he's hitting now, these opposite field home runs. He had two opposite field home runs this weekend. One on a fastball in, and and uh, the second on a breaking ball in. Like those are the individual swings where it's like this isn't a small sample. It's like there's only so many people that can do that. And if right. he's executing that in game then yeah, he's a different hitter. Like he is confident he is going to be an awesome hitter for them. And I I just don't know how much longer they're going to hit him sixth and seventh. Like, honestly, like I would be hitting him fifth at this point ahead of Raleigh, uh, maybe even ahead of Teoscar. Teoscar's also been awesome. So some signs of uh, of, of encouragement for the Mariners as well. Uh, but yeah, there, there's definitely problems with both of these teams still. Kalnick, remember, he is like younger than Royce Lewis. He's... Only 23 years old. He's younger than Oswaldo Cabrera. He's younger than a lot of these, you know, top prospects who are going to come up this year and perform in the big leagues. He is a child and he didn't look good as a 21 and 22 year old because neither did we in our lives and neither did you, listener, in your lives. And giving Kelnick the time and the patience to turn into what he was supposed to turn into. That's really important. And people, I saw some people being like, should the Mariners capitalize on this and trade him now before it goes wrong? Like, no, like he is this, like, this is it. Okay. Like, why would they trade this? Yeah. Also, like they need him. He's been the most steady guy that they've had because Julio has been off to a relatively slow start. Uh, So no, he's been so important and, and so impressive. And yeah, it's, it's just been really cool to see because it's not that people, but like when you're that bad, it's hard to imagine jumping to being this good, right? I think most Mariners fans were like, oh, like, let's just see him be above average, you know, hit righties pretty well, maybe hit 24 home runs, hit seventh, 
let the rest of the team do the heavy lifting. And instead he's like, actually, I'll just be the best hitter. It's like, all right, that works too. No complaints. Um, so that was very impressive as well. Last Anything thing I want to talk else? about. Oh yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Shane McClanahan. Oh, so yeah. McClanahan threw on Saturday. Oh yeah. Sure. Did. Against <laughs> the White Sox and threw is a good way to describe it. You know, this is what we call the Cespedes family barbecue baseball barbecast bump. You know, he comes on the pod and what does he do, Jordan? 88 pitches, 32 whiffs. 32 whiffs, which was, um, I don't know. I, I know it was a record through, I think, the six innings. And then he he went back out. I know he only uh, ended up pitching, I believe, 88 pitches. But that is just just for the, because I, I we're still getting used to that as like a common stat that you're tracking and you're, you're so so just for for general reference a starting pitcher getting like 20 whiffs in a game is is great ridiculously good that's like a great outing if you're getting 20 swings and misses in a start that is awesome 15 is like solid 10 or less like they're seeing you pretty well right that's generally the 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 framework that we're working with the rubric right 32 is, I mean, that's like, that's unheard of. You, you've only, you've only seen 30 plus in a game a handful of times. And you know, the White Sox, <laughs> here's the thing about the White Sox. They like to swing. It's they a good sure matchup like to there. Swing. Good matchup. They, they sure like to swing, but, but also, I mean, it's not terrible hitters either. You know, I know that this, they've been the one AL central team that actually has hit a little bit. And I mean, 32 swings and misses on 88 pitches is outrageous. My favorite part of this is that four days earlier, Shane McClanahan came on our podcast and we asked him, it's more complicated than you just trying to blow hitters away, right? And he said, yes, it's much more complicated. And then he went out there in his next start and <laughs> simply blew hitters away. But I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit. You watch those 32 swings and misses. It's a lot of off-speed, man. The changeup was insane. Insane. And, like, that's the pitch that he's only, like, sort of started to figure out over the last couple of years. And it was just – and that's the – talk about matchup against that righty-heavy lineup against Robert and against, you know, Sheets and – or, sorry, Sheets is a lefty, but against Vaughn uh, and, and some of those guys. Eloy. Just like, <laughs> Eloy, right. Just, oh, my goodness. So, Shane's amazing. He should also, by the way, we should say, we, I know we talked last week about how Garrett Cole and Luis Castillo are kind of in their own category. Shane McClanahan is very much in that discussion, as is that Jacob DeGrom fella, who we must re remind everybody is indeed in the American League now. Uh, Garrett Cole did do it again, by the way. Yeah. He, he did it again. He's up to two war. I know pitcher war is stupid and silly, but he has thrown 34 innings and he has allowed, I believe, uh, three runs. He has struck out 36 guys in 34 innings. He has been incredible. And most importantly, we'll say this every week, he has yet to allow a home run. Even more impressive when you consider that of his five starts, four of them have been in Yankee Stadium, which I understand is more of a pitcher's park than people think, but you can, you can fluke one out to right, trust me. Uh, and he won that game on Saturday against a very good Blue Jays lineup. Alec Manoa, Looking a lot better in that start. I know they ended up losing that game, but he was pretty solid. Going seven innings. This is a great Alec Manoa line. Seven innings, two hits, one walk, five Ks. Right? Who needs the punchies? Cole was a little less sharp, I think, than he'd been. Uh, only struck out four and five and two-thirds, which for him is not a lot. Needed a little bit more uh, higher pitch count than usual, but a win's a win for him. I know he didn't get the win, but the Yankees won that game on the walk-off. Also, like, Jay's lineup is legit. So, you know, that's still coming out of that game with a win was was impressive. Uh, <laughs> after the break, we will talk a little bit about Vlad Jr. against the Yankees. But before we had to break, any other series that you did want to highlight? I mean, I think I think those, yeah, we, we hit them up. I mean, the Orioles, hey, man, like on one hand, it's like it's the Tigers. You should sweep them. Definitely maybe some closer games well, than you would have expected. But still this impressive. is the thing. And I was thinking about this with the Pirates, too. Like people saying, oh, they're sweeping the bad teams. Like, what do we? Well, that means they're not one. Exactly. Right? Like exactly. for the last handful of years, the Orioles and the Pirates were one of the bad teams that you were supposed to sweep, right? Or supposed to beat two out of three. And so if they're going from that to the team that's picking up these easy wins, that's notable. Even if it they're not like sweeping the Astros, right? They're still winning the games they're supposed to win. And that's how you end up with 85 wins at the end of the year. 
And you have to think about the opposite of that feeling, which is what Twins fans are feeling on this Monday morning. When you have the Nationals coming into town for three, in your head, when you're already in first place, you're like, hell yeah, let's find some momentum the way that the Rangers went into the weekend against Oakland and were like, great, we can extend our lead even more in the division because we got the A's. Instead, the Twins, you know, dropping a series to the Nationals is just like, that is like the kind of stuff that is as maddening as it gets because while every, again, as we've learned, I mean, Oakland won on Friday, right? Any of these teams can't win any of these games. If you want to stay in a good position in the standings, you do have to take care of business. That is obvious. My man, Edouard Julien, the Canadian crusher, sent back down to AAA. He had one walk and nine strikeouts, which is the opposite of what he was doing in the minor leagues. Probably a little bit too aggressive. But yeah, the Twins lineup right now is a disaster. Nick Gordon friend of the show, rocking a negative 24 OPS plus is certainly not what you want. Negative 24 OPS Dude, plus. They're, they have, I think, a bottom five OPS in, in or I guess, I, okay, it got a little bit better against the Nationals. So, I mean, 682 um, OPS, 94 OPS plus is bad, but like that is a a rough, a rough watch. And most notably, we, we sort of noticed this a couple weeks in, they still have only one steal. And I know that it's like, come on, guys, let's go read the room. Go, (laughs) go. Go. So that is uh, troubling, to say the least. And their pitching's keeping a minute, which is very bizarre. But Byron Buxton, zero steals. That's a good thing. Don't let him run at all. That's true. We can find other guys to run. All right, Jake, let's take a break. And we we return. We'll talk Vlad versus the Yankees. Drew Smiley and Jan Gomes' piggyback attempt. Andrew, Maggi, and more. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi. And we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The racing season is in full swing, and we're breaking down all the exciting action on and off the track from the world of IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, and more. And by more, we mean that sometimes we just talk about whatever the hell we want, like time travel, Canadian ships, or the many reasons not to go to Death Valley. Either way, join us. Every week, we'll be here having fun. Fun's a relative term, but that's not the point. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Baseball Barbercast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Let's talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s promise, his assertion that he will never wear the pinstripes and never play for the New York Yankees. The Blue Jays were in the Bronx over the weekend. And Guerrero was asked about comments he had over the winter with a radio host, El Dotol Nastra, where he said that he likes to play in New York. I like to kill the Yankees. I would never sign with the Yankees, not even when I'm dead. Woo. And he reiterated it. Like they asked him again. He said, no, no, it's a personal family thing. Like I will never change that. We had a uh, recent discussion uh, when we talked about Otani in New York about the concept of future Yankee and how Yankees fans, whenever a very talented player comes to town, they assume, oh, he'll be a Yankee one day when he's done with his piddly little franchise in some other small-time city. He'll come play for the real baseball team up here in the Bronx. And Vlad Jr. has heard some of that and has said, not when I'm, not even when I'm dead. Now we do first of all. So he said that over the winter, and then he he right he doubled down, doubled down this weekend, well, hits two home runs against the Yankees. Yep, two home runs against the Yankees. He always crushes the Yankees. Always plays well in the Bronx. Quick thing is like great example of when Latin players. Um, th- this happens sometimes. Like they are doing interviews and media and saying things over the offseason or to you know Spanish speaking reporters that us the gringo world we don't pick up on and we don't make a necessarily a big deal out of because we miss it because we're dumb and we don't speak Spanish. And like Vlad said this over the winter on a, on a radio show in Spanish, presumably. uh, And like everyone kind of missed it. I understand that it was picked up enough that he got asked about it in the Bronx, but just a reminder that even if it's not said in English through a translator, a lot of the biggest best players of baseball are saying and doing interesting things that us Dumb dumbs can't understand. Yeah, I think that's true. But also, let's just talk about the the actual concept here. Um, 
not the only one. I mean, this is this was a famous uh, thing going back to Ken Griffey Jr. I know people were making that uh, uh, kind of connection. Obviously, different dynastic families, but uh, this is. I mean, th- first of all, it's just hilarious. It's great. It's it's the kind of beef that is. Uh, in some ways, completely harmless, and in other ways, just like perfect to bother Yankees fans because Vlad Jr. is already a pain in the ass for them to have to deal with, and now you know how personal it is for them for some reason. Which again, I don't do. Do we know the exact details, the exact things related to? I assume his dad to some degree. Uh, I, but it's fine. I, I'm not sure it's really our business, and I'm not really sure I care. <laughs> I just love. I know some people are like, trying to figure it out. It's like no. Like he's, it's, he clearly feels strongly enough about it to double down and to be like, yes, I did mean that. And that's enough for me. It could be as harmless as like, you know, Yankees suck child behavior. And it could be as meaningful as fan was offensive to his dad. Right. It could be anywhere in between those. And there's no point in speculating. Maybe it'll come out at some point. Maybe it won't. What I want to do is I want to, throw some ideas around about why, you know, some funny ideas around why does he not want to play there? Do you think it has something to do with the taxes? Is it the public transit system? Does he hate Eric Adams? He's against his policies. What do you no think roof. it is? No what? roof. Oh, no no roof. roof on Yankee Stadium is something that I am sure he's gotten very comfortable with. The uh, pinstripes are the pinstripes are too slimming. He wants to be seen as imposing. That's the thing. Yeah, because like the, he's kind of I know he's he's slimmed down in some ways, but also like he's still Vlad Jr. Like he he's gonna be coming in with some heft, and we right. don't want to we don't want them to be slimming. We want him to look like the the beast that he is. He doesn't want to cut his hair. I mean, that's probably, that's probably part a of it. layup. Yeah, I have to imagine that's something that I mean, you got to go back to. Man, when he signed, I think to w- w- the last time he did not have not have his his hair like that. So yeah, that's that's probably a good reason. I'm trying to think of of anyone. I mean, like t- to me, like it could be as simple as you know we're thinking about it from the standpoint of how much he doesn't want to play for the Yankees. But I think it's as much about he loves playing against the Yankees so much uh. that he would only have that opportunity, you know, in on the backfields in Tampa. Like that's not as fun as homering against Garrett Cole or whatever in Yankee Stadium as the as the opponent. Like that just the upside there is just much lower, I feel like. I love that he said this. I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's great. great. Like so many baseball people don't like the Yankees, and to have a player just say it against his own benefit, you know, let's say Vlad does make it to free agency and we can talk about his future in a second. Essentially just crossing out one whole enormous big market team from the conversation probably cost him like a, a million or two, you but know, and me, he's like, I don't care. It makes me wonder if it helps him in his negotiations with the Blue Jays um, from the standpoint yeah. of, of of an extension or something like that. And, you know, he's still a few, few more years from free agency. I know they did manage to, you know, extend Bo at least through arbitration and stuff, but this is, this is also just allow this to pivot to just Vlad right now as a player. I mean, he looks amazing. And the, the biggest difference about Vlad so far this year is not just that he's elevating the ball, which is something that has kind of fluctuated over the last couple of seasons. He's not striking out anymore. Uh, the contact rate has now reached a, a really impressive level. He has the same number of walks and strikeouts. Not that he was striking out a ton before. I mean, he only struck out, you know, 110 times in 2021, 116 times in 2022. And that's playing every single game, basically. But like, if he's going to lower that even more, this dude's unbelievable. And that's, that's the whole point of Vlad. That's the, when we have talked about him since he was 17, it's because he can be the best hitter in baseball. Right. And so if he's going to cut down on that, that is something that can separate him from the Jordan Alvarez's of the world. Because while Jordan right now has a really strong case for, for, you know, best hitter in the league. Uh, and you could say the same thing about trout, right? Those guys are still striking out a ton. And so if Vlad can actually combine super-duper elite contact rates with the power that we saw from him in 2021, now we're having a conversation about him again as the best hitter in the league. And he's also probably the last of the young, incredible players who has not signed an extension. He's the obvious Mm -hmm. glaring one. Mm -hmm. I know Adley Rushman hasn't signed one. You could talk about Randy Rosarena 
doesn't have he's an older, extension. Though. He's older. He's older, though. right. Yeah. Like, uh, if you're really buying Jared Kelnick, <laughs> I guess, like, <laughs> that's another one, right? But it, it, Vlad is kind of in his own category there of elite young player who is not locked up. He yeah. becomes a I mean, free Soto's agent. Soto's also still in that conversation. But, so, yeah, and, sorry. And I don't know how I forgot. still at the same age. <laughs> I know. But, wow. But yes. But yes. Uh, those but no, two I, are... I'm fascinated. Yeah, those two are the guys. Like, mm-hmm. Vlad is a free agent after 25, mm-hmm. I believe. So that's this year, next year, and the following. He's going to need, like, a... I would imagine it'll be, like, what Miggy got when he signed his extension. Like, it'll be in that range, plus inflation, plus... You know, the adjustment for where the market's gone. He is an he's a defensive nothing, but he is like legitimately one of the best hitters in the world. He's a damn good first baseman. And that is not nothing. I I, I, I honestly mean that. I know he's not, you know, necessarily out there, you know, playing center. But I like honestly, dude, honestly, dude, are you telling me he's giving me less defensive value than Soto? Because I don't. I'm not sure I believe that at this point. I know Soto bad corner outfield versus Vlad good first baseman. I don't defense. think he's a good first baseman. Okay. I do. I think he's a good first baseman. Um I know that I some think of the numbers he's a bad say one. that he's good and some of the numbers say he's bad. I think he's good. But again, like our first base defense is not something that the metrics are always going to encapsulate. But again, we can that's that's not why he's signing an extension. It doesn't matter if he's the best center in the world. Who cares? Uh, I just that, but it's good. I'm glad we found something we disagree on. Of Vlad's first base defense. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, we love Vlad Jr. He's great. Uh, let's move on to two perfect game pursuits over the weekend. One happened on Friday afternoon. Friday. Great afternoon. time for that. Great time for that. Great time for that. We had talked on the Friday morning pod about James Outman, who had delivered this incredible uh, blow against the Cubs on Thursday night, and how excited we were for this Cubs-Dodgers series to be packed, for Wrigley Field to be bumping, to have that Friday afternoon game, that classic uh, you know, afternoon at Wrigley on Friday where it's the only game on, and I had it on, and the Cubs were whooping them, absolutely kicking the Dodgers' ass. And then I look up in the fifth or the sixth, and I, I, I actually had turned the game off. I had, I had switched over to college baseball. I was like, don't need to watch this anymore. <laughs> I opened up Twitter, and I saw, oh, actually, that game I had been watching the whole time, you didn't notice that Drew Smiley had a perfect game. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I will turn that game back on then. Um, Jake, what was your experience watching this perfect game effort before we get to how it concluded? So I hopped in in the sixth inning. And I hopped in from the Toronto Blue Jays road clubhouse at Yankee Stadium. And the game was on the television inside the clubhouse and the score was like 13 to zero. And I was very confused. I had not watched the game. I did not know it was a perfect game. Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, and Danny Jansen of the Blue Jays were like parked on the couch watching intently. And I was like, huh? Like what? Like wh- Why? Like, this is a blowout. Why are you watching? And I went up to them and I was like, what's up, guys? Like, quick question for you. You know, 13 to zero game. Do you think there would ever be like a mercy rule? Like, you guys would ever be down to have a mercy rule in the bigs? Like, do you think that's something that could ever happen? I asked them this because I assumed like, you know, they're just watching this 13 to zero game. And they like answered the question. You know, they gave some interesting thoughts and they were like, yeah, but like in this case, you know, this is a perfect game. I was like, this is a perfect game. They're like, yeah, dude, it's a perfect game. Uh, That's good. I, I'm glad that they have no, uh, you know, superstitious qualms of being like, yeah, but not this one because you know, you know, the, you know, look at the. There's not that nothing. No. They haven't done any. They're like no perfect game. Which, perfect by the game. way, I think we've made so much progress in that arena. I know some fans disagree on this, but like, I had of course the Cubs broadcast on through six. You know, Boog Chambi, um, Jim Deshays, and I think Girardi was actually yeah. in the booth for this as well. They were, there's no, they're like perfect game, perfect game, perfect game, perfect game, perfect game. I'm like, great. Now, Love it. is that why what happened uh, in the top of the eighth happened? No, it's not. But boy, was it funny. So were you watching when it ended or, or how did that go? Yes, I was watching when it ended. Uh, and you, you could just hear the whole clubhouse be like, ah. All right, let's describe the play. David Peralta, again, top of the eighth. So we're through seven. And through seven, Okay, so no hitter, I certainly don't care until it's through seven at all. Perfect game, if you're through six, 
I'm paying attention. Yeah. So once you're through seven, we're, we're in range, right? Okay. David Peralta against Drew Smiley. Not exactly the best, the best matchup for David Peralta. And he, he just, he just tapped, I mean, broken bat, right? Broken bat dribbler, effectively a perfect bunt, probably one of the most beautiful bunts you'll ever see. And I think a big part of this, I'm I'm curious, Jake, give, give us your PFP take on what happened in this play. So it's a really difficult play to make. If you're a lefty thrower, it's a lot harder to make. The ball was hit to the third base side. If you're a right-handed pitcher, you can pick up the ball. You're facing the catcher. You're seeing the catcher. You're picking up the ball with your right arm, and you're already facing the correct way to throw it to first base. If you're a lefty, you are taught to spin around, right? You're taught to kind of pick the ball up with your left hand as you're turning with your back to the catcher and spin and fire to first. And that was the problem here because Drew Smiley did not see Jan Gomes a coming and Gomes essentially laid him out and yes. that was the perfect game. Yes, it was uh now and then of course then they debate for the next, you know, half inning would he have made the play if Gomes did not tackle him? Uh, and Gomes seemed to clearly acknowledge like yeah, that was my fault. Although to your point like for Gomes in Gomes's head this is going to be an easier play for me to make, right? Because I'm running towards the ball and I can just pick it up or whatever. But once Smiley committed to getting it, uh, it, you know, calamity ensued. And so that is what happened. It was, of course, it was perfect. It was the perfect kind of, it was the perfect ending to a perfect game pursuit. It was the most baseball thing that could ever happen. And it gave us uh, one of the great screenshots uh, and gifts, I think, of of baseball goofiness that we've really seen in quite some time. And I know it sucks for Drew Smiley, but it seems like they had a good attitude about it. This was not the ninth with two outs, in which case this would be legitimately heartbreaking. Like this was still out of the point where it was just it's it's funny. It is objectively funny. Um, it's unfortunate, but it is objectively funny. This does not happen if it's not a perfect game like this collision because they both wanted it so bad that they just weren't communicating. They're like, ball, ball, I need it, right? Uh, And the funny thing was, so the replay's playing and like some guys in the Blue Jays clubhouse are reacting to it. And George Springer goes, did they just bunt? Because he just saw the the replay and was was like, oh my God, they bunted the perfect game. And someone was like, no, George, it was a swinging bunt. He was like, okay, okay, okay. You know, watching baseball players watch this was a very cool experience. I think one pitcher, I'm trying to remember who it was, yelled across the room to Alejandro Kirk and was like, don't you ever do that to me. Like, don't don't ever run into me like that. Like, we're going to have problems. You know, it was good banter. So good for Drew Smiley. Uh, good for the Cubs. Good for Jan Gomes showing how bad he wants it. This is a hit. I'm yeah. watching this back now. Like, I don't think they're getting the guy first. Yeah, no, it's, it's close enough. Peralta running, you know, lefty batter, like, I think it would have been close anyway, but I, that's why I'm glad it happened this way, right? If it's a normal, say they field it normally and he just beats it out, like no one cares, uninteresting. But instead, here we have just one of the funniest sequences we've ever seen. Other perfect game attempt. Eduardo Rodriguez of the Detroit Tigers yesterday against the Orioles just carving him up. Crazy. I was not watching this one at all, so uh, I don't know what your experience was watching this one. Of course, the Orioles going for the sweep, and instead they were getting perfect game, but also the Tigers didn't have any runs. So that's another uh, unique uh, part of, of a perfect game or a no-hitter attempt is when your team doesn't have any runs, you're like, okay, so is he just going to have to go 14 or 15 perfect, or how's this going to work? So were you watching so, this game? Yeah, I watched most of this game, and the weird experience of this is knowing that the Orioles were going to win having the confidence that even though they were getting perfect gamed through, I guess six. it was six. Like I was like, Oh yeah, they're going to win. I'm not worried at all. Yeah. And they, my, and they won <laughs> my experience of this game. And, and we've talked about this on the pod before, like perfect games are very, I take care about them a lot because Felix Hernandez, my favorite pitcher has the last one. And I am constantly thinking as perfect game at bids are in progress. Like, do I want this guy to have the next one? Um, and to be honest, Drew Smiley and Eduardo Rodriguez were pretty low down on those rankings. You know, Luis Castillo had one through six last week, and I was like, well, this should be pretty cool. Like, if we're going to have, you know, hand it over, like, I can't complain about this one. These two were a little bit lower on the rankings. But for, for Erod, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the experience of Erod throwing a perfect game against you is is, like, really infuriating because he's not blowing you away, right? And so if Shane McClanahan is perfect, it's like, well, we can't touch this. 
Erod, if he's dominating, it's just sequencing and spotting and, you know, mixing in an off speed down. And it was just guys barely missing it. He only had like six strikeouts and they were just hitting it off the end of the bat. And it was like, just hit it. It's right there. Just hit the ball. Come on. So the other thing is that it overshadowed the Erod versus G-Rod uh, uh, showdown. And Grayson was awesome. And so that that kind of got lost in the the perfect game bid from from Erod. And you know, listen, if Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, another another Venezuelan pitcher, it's been really cool to see him look good this year after the very strange season he had a year ago with a lot of off the field issues where he was away from the team. Like it's been nice to see him kind of bounce back and look like like this is what they really did pay for, right? This is the Eduardo Rodriguez that we were counting on being for the Tigers. Is it going to change? Is it going to stop the Tigers from losing 100 games? Probably not, but it is still nice to see him look like the pitcher that we did think that he was. So that that has been nice. Um, but at the same time, you know, that, you know, he, he ultimately loses it uh, with uh, with Ryan Mountcastle. It was an infuriating way for him to lose it because yeah. Mountcastle swings at freaking everything. And they had the way that they had pitched him is like they had been they got up one, two and they were throwing balls like all over the world. And it, Mountcastle was swinging and fouling them off. And they did like two or three of them. And then they threw it in the zone and he hit it for a single. Like, yeah. just don't throw Ryan Mountcastle anything anywhere near the strike zone if it's a one-two count. And that's how they ended up losing it. He ends up getting pulled and the bad Tigers bullpen ends up blowing it. After that, Orioles take the W. Let's talk about Drew Maggi, Jordan Schusterman. Who is Drew Maggi? Why is Drew Maggi relevant? And what's going to happen with Drew Maggi? So Drew Maggi is a uh, 33-year-old journeyman. Now, are you a journeyman if you have only journeyed in the minor leagues and you've only played for three organizations? Four? Oh, I guess he, he, he added up a bunch. I guess he got to, let's see, Pirates, Angels, Dodgers, Guardians, Twins, Phillies. So You are not a journeyman. You are a vagabond. You are, you are a, vagabond. a, pi- you're a pilgrim. Yes. You're a pilgrim and at that point. Drew Maggi uh, got a lot of attention yesterday. 15th round pick by the Pirates in 2010. But as I mentioned, he has been on five other organizations since then. Ended up back with the Pirates last year. And then this year, he's been in AA. He has played well over 1,000 games in minor league baseball and has never been called up. He has been just your consummate utility infielder. He has, of course, played... Every, I mean, 200 games at second, 200 games at third. He's played 20 games at first, 100 games in left. He's, of course, pitched in some games. He's played 400 games at shortstop. He's played them all, right? He's basically played everywhere. He's got a career, you know, 697 OPS. And that kind of explains to you why he has not necessarily uh, gotten the call up to the big leagues. At the same time, this is someone but, who's, yeah. But I was going to say, but the 697 OPS also explains why he's hung around. Because he's yes. not awful. Yes, he's not awful, and obviously he is a, a quality and competent defender at essentially every position. And so that is a reason to keep a guy like him around on top of what is the other key to sticking around a long time? Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick. <laughs> and so especially for someone, <laughs> if you're not a catcher, right? Because catchers have a higher bar because like everybody needs catchers. And so, you know, if but if you can stick around as a non-catcher, like you are clearly an awesome dude. And that is what Drew Maggi has been. For I love the his, idea of, yeah. hey, kids, if you're a dick and you want to hang around for a while, make sure you catch. <laughs> make sure you catch. Um, but but he is, you know, he's, again, he's been in the minors forever. And what happened was uh, Brian Reynolds uh, went on the bereavement list and the Pirates called him up on Sunday. Now, he was called up by the Twins in 2021 in a similar situation. He was having a good year in AAA in, in St. Paul. Got called up for a day or two and did not end up getting in a game. Uh, this time, they called him up. And he did not get into a game Sunday. I do not know when Brian Reynolds is expected to come back. The Pirates do not play today on Monday, but they come back on Tuesday. But we just want to see Drew Maggi get into a game because much was made about, you know, him getting called back up. There's this great video the Pirates put out of him getting the news and, of course, showing up at PNC Park. And it's all great. And it's as predictably emotional, but very cool as you would expect. And the obvious way to think is, like, please just put him in a game. Please just let this guy be able to call himself a major leaguer. How do you feel about that? Because that's basically how I feel. That's how I think anybody feels rationally. But it also kind of reminds you that like how this all works and like there's a reason he's never, you would think that at some point along the way in the, in the over 
all, nearly 500 games he's played at AAA that there would be situations where it would be like, hey, let's just call Drew Maggi up for a game. And yet it's only happened twice now and he still hasn't gotten into a game. Do you feel like he deserves that he's obligated to get a plate appearance or an inning in the field? Or do you think that he needs to earn it or the situation needs to arise? He deserves it. I think that when you watch the video of him fighting out and you listen to the way the teammates in the minors react to the news, there are gasps, right? There is clapping. There is hugging. He is clearly emotional about it. This is a player who has given his life to baseball. And that is the type of thing that baseball people respect and admire. Even though he is objectively not good by the standards of big league baseball, he has the respect of guys who are way better than him, right? Andrew McCutcheon has probably met Drew Maggi like eight times. Although I guess maybe they came up together. But like McCutcheon must have unbelievable amounts of respect for this guy when he gets to the big leagues because of what he's been through. Ball players respect ball players who post and who grind. And he's done that. And I think that Shelton, Derek Shelton, the manager of the Pirates, is one of those guys and is going to do everything he possibly can to get Maggi in a game. Like just to say that he's a big leaguer. Mm-hmm. Now, I really hope he doesn't get set back down before their next game on Tuesday. It would be a really bad look for the Pirates to promote this entire moment of Maggi coming up to the big leagues and then they don't even get him into the game. I think Shelton cares and understands what's going on here. And again, like, is this a courtesy? Like, it's not like a make-a-wish situation, like get this guy into the big leagues. Yeah. He has earned this experience. He mm-hmm. has been a not awful player in the high minors for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. He's a professional big leader. I mean, you saw the video of him finding out. Man is ripped. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he's not hes not some schlub off the street. I believe he was like a Team USA guy uh, in, in college. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a real ball player. And given another circumstance, he's in another organization coming up the chain where a guy gets injured. Like, he totally could have been in the big leagues. And so... I think he has earned it, and I hope he gets the chance. Yeah, no, I hope so too. Just to like put in perspective his journey and how long he's been doing this. So Drew Maggi was taken in 2010, 15th round out of Arizona State. Another player who was taken in 2010 out of Arizona State in the eighth round was Merrill Kelly. Think about what Merrill Kelly's career has, has how Merrill Kelly's career has transpired in the time that Drew Maggi has basically just been in double A and in AAA. Merrill Kelly came up with the Rays, reached AAA in 2014, and in 2014 was like, this isn't working out for me. I'm going to go to Korea for four whole seasons. Merrill Kelly goes to Korea for four whole seasons, comes back, becomes a major league pitcher, is now in his fifth season of major league baseball, all in the time that his college teammate has just been grinding away in AA and AAA. Uh, And now, hopefully, they will both be able to to call themselves big leaguers. So we'll see what happens with that. I am a little nervous uh, about, you know, Reynolds coming back or, or the roster move ending up sending him down, but I do hope that they can that they can put him in because that would be great. And just to give the perspective of how long ago this draft was, this is Bryce Harper going number one overall in 2010. All right, this is Harper, Tyon Machado, Christian Colon, who's like already out of baseball, Matt Harvey. Okay, Matt Harvey was another guy who was drafted out of college in this draft. Think of all the thing, the the things that have happened to Matt Harvey, the things that have happened to Chris Sale, the mm. things that have happened to Christian Yelich, and here is Drew Maggi making his number one or making his his first uh, appearance in the majors. Hopefully, 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 we will see. But still, either way, an awesome story, and we salute his perseverance. All right, Jake, I think we should end this podcast here. As always, especially in April, just another round of injuries that we got. Logan O'Hoppy out four to six months with a torn labrum. Garrett Mitchell looks like he's going to need shoulder surgery. Chris Bubich having Tommy John. All three of these are super disappointing injuries for young players who had very, very impressive starts to their seasons. Each of these injuries will have very differing impacts on their team's playoff odds. Uh, But the O'Hoppy one is a big deal because that was one that, you know, catcher that especially as we see Brandon Marsh 
has been tremendous in Philadelphia. This was looking like a win-win for both teams, and now they lose him, and that's the kind of injury that is – listen, it's, it's not Trout or Otani, but Ohapi was, was even better than I think I expected uh, right away, and now their catching situation uh, becomes messy pretty quickly. I assume they, they're going to have to revert back to Stassi and then probably, I guess, Matt Feiss if he's still catching. Um, Stassi is they, hurt in uh, the timetable there. Chad Wallach is the other one um, yeah. who's, again, just, you know, obviously just a backup guy. So that definitely hurts them and, and, and sucks for, for who was very much going to be, you know, in the rookie of the year conversation. He's been really, really good. Let's do an email and then we will say goodbye. This email is from Dylan Tonk Johnson. He says, hey, fella, this is an awesome email. Like this fires me up. Hey, fellas, love the pod. The discourse about Otani feeling comfortable on the Angels combined with Joey Gallo's resurgence on the Twins led me to wonder what would happen if Otani declared that he would only go to a central team. Obviously, as a Twins fan, I have literally no hope of him signing to my favorite team, like many other teams without owners willing to spend. So thinking about his comfort made me dream of Otani in a small market. What do you think Stephen A. would say about Cincinnati Reds legend Shohei Otani? Nothing good, probably. Thanks, guys. Love the pods. P.S. Will the Twins offense please start hitting? What we're going to do, Jordan, we're going to rank the 10 teams in the AL and NL Central by likelihood that they will sign Shohei Otani. So, okay. Is that how we want to do it? Because to me, I feel like the first step is like, Throwing money, moving money aside, but we want to make it likelihood if he, if all he has said, he still wants to get paid. We assume, but well, we'll he has declared that these are the, only the ten teams in the running. You so you're saying like forget payroll, willingness I'm to just spend, saying like, right? Which of these teams would Otani want to play for the most? One to ten, but let's let's do it like that. Let's do it like let's we'll we'll follow follow the uh, follow the, the the prompt here. Okay. I think number one is the Cubs, and it's not close. Yeah, yeah. Cubs are – they're – right. So Cubs – the rest of the conversation is more interesting. Okay. Cubs number um, one. Cubs were – first of all, Cubs were the only team that were on his list from uh, – the finalists of seven, the final seven teams um, that he had uh, when he was a free agent last time. So the Cubs are the clear number one. So now the real conversation, <laughs> again, as we say, the draft starts at two. <laughs> the draft starts at two. I would say – Huh. Likelihood? Okay, let's just say likelihood. He has narrowed it down to these teams. I think my next pick still has to be the Cardinals, I think. Yeah. I think the Cardinals still have to be the next pick. And then I think the Twins have to be up there too. I think the Twins are probably again, who which of these teams have we seen spend exorbitantly recently? It's But Minnesota. we're not talking about money. We're not talking okay, about but, money. But you you said likelihood to to, yeah. to sign him. So there is going to be some component of it. We have to have some sort of record of recent, recent, um, you know, giving a lot of money to a baseball player, even if it's not that much. And if that's the the conversation, it has to be Minnesota. It has to be, I guess, the White Sox and, and then Detroit, right? Because Milwaukee has been completely disinterested in free agency entirely, as has generally Pittsburgh, certainly Cincinnati, certainly Kansas City, right? And Cleveland, you know, to some degree. So then maybe, maybe, you know what, let's, let's forget money because trying to, d- to determine the difference here is stupid. Is, it's, we're, we're talking about like this is irrelevant. We're already in a, a totally goofy uh, reality, right? So let's say who would Otani want to play for ranked them 1 to 10? I still think the Cubs are number one. Um, but then where do we go? Do we think I'm going to move the Cardinals down okay. because I don't know if those vibes are right for Shohei. Okay. So, so I think do- the Cubs are number one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put... At number two, I'm going to put Cleveland. Okay. I'm going to put Cleveland at two because I think he likes the the like the driveline um, tech stat they, stuff. They, are, they have got the right – they've got the right attitude. They've got the right attitude. Yeah. And also, like, he can really impact them on both sides of the ball. <laughs> and because – and then I'm going to put Milwaukee three because mm-hmm. he did play in a dome uh, mm. in Japan. And, okay, Again. indoors as a as a as kind of a selling point is an interesting. I like that. I like that. Okay, then I'll do the Twins at four. Uh, I'm going to put the Royals at ten. Okay, Royals I'm just put and the Reds Royals at the bottom. 
Yeah, Royals and Reds probably have to be at the bottom. Again, we also have to assume Otani would like to win, uh, which is another part of this. Oh, that's which, a good Which, you know, point. Pittsburgh right now, you know, make your pitch. You know, now's the time. That's a good point. I'm going to put the Cardinals back up at five because he does want to win, right? Like, that is the whole kind of thing here. <laughs> I, I think because of that, you have to put Royals, Reds, and the uh, Tigers at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put the White Sox at six. Okay, so in order, Cubs one, Guardians two, Brewers three, Twins four, Cardinals five, White Sox six, Pirates seven, Tigers eight, Reds nine, Royals ten. You want to move the Pirates up, don't you? Pirates over the over the White Sox. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, think about it this way. Um, way more fun to hit one into the Allegheny than into the nondescript seats at guaranteed rate. That is true. I will say this experience, this experiment, this exercise has really uh, confirmed for me. He won't go to any of these teams. <laughs> oh, man. But I would love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong. The Photoshop of him in a Pirates hat and jersey never fails to make me smile. And I would love to see it come true. Ben Charrington, that is your challenge, my friend. All right, Jake, you did it. Did a podcast. Thank you to Dylan for that fantastic email. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Uh, leave us a rating, a review. Let us know how we're doing. We would appreciate the feedback. You can get BBCast merch, podswag.com slash baseball. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this episode of Baseball Barbacast. On Wednesday, we will return our attention to the A's of Oakland slash maybe Las Vegas and dive deep into the situation that is still ongoing. There's a couple already twists and turns uh, since we last recorded, so we'll keep an eye on that. We'll have a special guest for that. Uh, But until Wednesday, enjoy the ball, and uh, we will talk to you guys very, very soon. We are the Pirates. Don't do anything. Sirius XM Podcasts. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 